Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Matt, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Let me open up by reading to you from Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, it was two years ago today that we were having our last service in person before COVID came flying in. Two years today, we were sitting here going like, I wonder what's going to happen. And by the next week, we were on Zoom. And after that, we were online. It's been two years. And in those two years, I don't think any of us could have had any idea how much there would be a reshaping of our lives, a reshaping of culture and dynamics, the the alterations, the changes, the effect that we've had. Being part of COVID, of course, since we all got to be a part of that joyful experience, has created certain new rhythms. It's also put certain other rhythms behind. It's, well, it's made certain things come alive, and it's, well, it's killed a few others. And so one of the things we wanted to do as we enter this season of Lent, right, which is a time of reflection and entering into the reality that, that we want to make room for God, we're going to spend this Lenten season, these six Sundays, talking about rhythm. There is, according to the scriptures, according to any psychologist and to any spiritual formation specialist, will tell you that there is no lasting change without rhythm that we're trained through our rhythms, that we're trained by our habits, our repeated rhythms of life. Why? Because we are rhythmed people. There is no way around it. We were created by God as rhythmed people in a rhythmed creation in which we live. We get to live out our, our various rhythms at times for better and at times for worse. We uh, sometimes live out our rhythms for good and other times our rhythms to our peril. But um, it's been pretty clear that most people understand that we don't so much inform our rhythms as much as our rhythms end up actually informing us or I would say shaping us. There's an old sentence, I remember, a thing that I remember a pastor saying, said, you know, hey, show me your calendar, and you guys probably heard this, show me your calendar and your checkbook, and I'll tell you what you value. You guys heard that before? Like, it's kind of like, you know, if you tell me, you show me your time, and show me where you're spending your money, I'll tell you what's important to you. I'll tell you what you love, right? Well, I would actually sh say, show me your rhythms, and I will tell you your values. Show me your, your, because it involves both your money and it involves your time. Show me what you're rhythmically engaged in, and I will tell you what matters to you, what's important to you what you love. And here's the really important thing. We don't make life-giving choices and habits and rhythms, and we don't make life-taking, we don't get rid of or break life-taking habits easily. And so this morning, we're going to step into the non-controversial, non, no, no, uh, non like non-challenging area of why 
living in rhythm of regular and weekly gathering at church is pivotal to you experiencing and flourishing and being transformed. We're going to talk about why it matters that you come to church. Now, here's the thing. Normally, you know, when the pastor says that, it's like, you know, hey, this is really like job security. But you know that's not why I'm talking about it now. <laughs> so, so this is, this is, you can trust that this is for real, right? Okay, not that you wouldn't have, not that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I just wanted to say that is a, a real thing. And so this morning we're going to look at that thing, that, that awkward and unsure and honestly controversial. People are having lots of conversations around, does it matter that you go to church? The thing is, it's not a new conversation. And it's actually a very fascinating conversation, but it's also been augmented by online opportunities and options. And several of you are joining us online right now, and I'll be talking to you in a minute. So just, just be your good. Y'all are good too. Everyone's going to be good, but it's about to come. So here we go. So here's what we're going to do. Why must we come to church to worship? Why must we gather at church? Well, I'm gonna, my goal this morning is to try and awaken our souls to, to, to give us a yeah, that, that does happen. That is true. That is the purpose. I mean, I've got about six different pieces that are going to kind of walk through briefly. So why do we come to church to worship? Why do we gather? Why must we gather at church? Well, first, uh, because we cannot self-curate our own transformation. We cannot self-curate our own formation and transformation. One of the things that happens when you show up to church regularly and by the way, sorry, I need to caveat this because this is automatically going to be the case. There are some of you who have not or who are still in a place where you are not feeling safe enough because of COVID dynamics. You've got uh, side conditions and things that keep you from being able to be in this context. I totally understand that. I'm not talking about that, okay? At some point, that will obviously not be a reality for anyone, right? There's always going to be a concern. You show up here, someone's sick, that's always going to be a thing. However, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about what we decided during COVID when we shut down. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the reality that's been true of all of us and of evangelicalism well before COVID showed up on the scene, okay? So that's my caveat. So if you're like, but I'm not ready, it's like, okay, that's cool. But let's be honest about what actually church looks like and does. So back to this, because we cannot curate, why? Because we cannot curate, um, self-curate our own transformation. One of the things that happens when we come to church is, is it provides us on a regular basis, it provides us a protection against our curating a personally crafted faith around the things that we're, well, most interested in or most moved by. While avoiding, of course, the elements that are, well, either more, most challenging or just uncomfortable for us. It's placing ourselves in an environment where we're, <laughs> well, where we ingest a broader diet of truth and grace than we would otherwise naturally put on our plate. And in every other category of life, we're like master curators, right? You can curate your news feed. You can curate what, who, you're, who you're following. You can curate anything almost. But one of the graces that comes from coming on a week-to-week -week basis is that you don't get to curate. You don't get to tell me. You don't get to talk to, to hey, leadership, I actually would like this series to be preached. You actually come. You don't know what's about to show up. Most of you didn't know what you are going to hear this morning, right? You didn't know I was going to tell you, like, you got to be in church. You didn't know I was going to say that, but now you knew. And now what? You have to deal with it with God. You're going to get to self-curate it. If you're at home and you're going like, well, we've been trying to figure this out. And like, now you know, here it is. So you don't get to choose just because, but by default, by being a part of a rhythmed dynamic. And sometimes it's going to be things that are going to strike right at the center of where you're at. And God's, you're going to say, this sermon was, as you guys have said to me multiple times, this sermon was for 
me, right? Y'all have had those moments. You're like, this sermon was for me. And I'm like, no, it was also for the person who didn't show up thinking that or caring about that. But, it, but it's not, right? And other times you're like, why were we here again? I don't care. Or, you know, like, check, I'm done. All right. We'll just leave that alone. <laughs> Entrusting ourselves to God and all that he declares about himself and about us and about life itself. Instead of managing a a personalized and I would say guaranteed, inevitably reductionistic view of him, of ourselves, and of the world. That's what we're protected against. Here's uh, Andy Stanley famously said years ago that you can't, one of the things you cannot see in the mirror is greed. Greed is just one of those things like you're like, no, I'm I'm a, you know, I'm a good steward. That's what happens, right, when you're greedy uh, and you're a Christian. And um, you can't see it in the mirror. So you're going to have to be confronted by it because you're not going to go and like search articles going like, am I greedy? It's not going to happen. So you're going to have to have moments like this where someone goes, hey, I want you to know maybe, maybe your stuff doesn't belong to God. And you'll be like, maybe my stuff doesn't belong to God. Does my stuff belong to God? That's the purpose of being at church when God is calling the shots. Here's a fantastic quote uh, from Eugene Peterson. He says, we think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act, listen, listen. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. When we obey the command to praise God and worship, our deep, essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. Loved ones, we can't curate our own spiritual formation. We can participate in certain areas in certain ways, absolutely. We enter it, we engage it, but, but over time, we must be willing to engage in the means of grace that come from the unexpected Truth of God in gathered worship. Secondly, why why must we come together to worship? Why must we gather at church? Secondly, is because being part of God's church means belonging to a community. Being part of God's church means belonging to a community. Now, we just did a whole series on community, so I'm not talking right now about that committed community context, right? That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about a broader sense of a community together, all of us. This is what Hebrews uh, 10 says, and obviously you might have heard this verse before. He says, let us consider how we are to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Being a church places us, I'm sorry, being at church places us in a church community that is a place where love is tested because the community is not made up of the people necessarily that you would pick. Someone may have sat in your row this week that you didn't pick and then you had to talk to them. Maybe ask them a question. Maybe they said something that you're like, I'm sitting in a different row next time. But guess what? They're in the room. It's part of the beauty of the people of God. We don't get to pick them or agree with every set of the same set of values or priorities or seasons of life or social economic uniformity. 
Being here is a place where love is forged over time for one another, and therefore it forms us as we form others. C.S. Lewis, this may be one of the most honest C.S. Lewis quotes I've ever seen, and I just love it. There was someone apparently that asked C.S. Lewis, is attendance at a place of worship or membership with a Christian community necessary to, Christian, to a Christian way of life? You got to hear his answer. He says, my own experience, <laughs> this is so great. My own experience is that when I first became a Christian about 14 years ago, I thought that I could, I'm sorry, I thought that I could do it on my own by retiring to my rooms and reading theology, which he's incredibly good at, and wouldn't go to the churches and gospel halls. And then later, I found that it was the only way of flying your flag. And of course, I found that this meant being a target. It is extraordinary how, listen, tell me you understand this. It is extraordinary how inconvenient to your family it becomes for you to get up early and go to church. It doesn't matter so much if you get up early for anything else, but if you get up early to go to church, it's very selfish of you, and, uh, well, you upset the house. If there's anything, this is so good, if there's anything in the teaching of the New Testament which is in the nature of command, it's like, like a command, it is that you are obliged to take the sacrament, and you can't do it without going to church. Now, here's honest C.S. Lewis for you. I disliked very much their hymns, which I considered to be fifth-rate fifth rate poems set to sixth-rate music. <laughs> but as I went on, listen, this is so real, but as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people in quite different outlooks and different education, and then gradually my conceit just began to peel up, began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth-rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by the old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. That's what it means to come together and to worship together, to be together in this context. And by the way, the inconvenience that he describes in there, which we all know, the inconvenience is part of the formation. It is a choosing that forms us. We all know that we don't value what we don't pay for. It has to cost us for it to be something valuable. So James K. Smith, James K. Smith in his multiple books, but in this, he's an author and theologian, he says, worship is not a private affair. We have gathered as a people, as a congregation, and, and just as together we are dependent on our redeeming creator, so too are we dependent on one another. So you being here, you choosing to be here this morning, lending your voice, lending your gifts, lending, lending your presence, Loving even your differences is a gift, is a means of grace to me and to each other by default. That's why we must gather together for worship, why we must gather at church. Thirdly, why do we gather? Because we need an embodied experience of God in others. We need an embodied 
experience of God and others. Uh, online people, I'm coming for you. First uh, John, I'm coming for you too, don't worry, fear not. First John 1, uh, this is the picture of Jesus, right? That which was from the beginning, John says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That is the reality of embodiment in its truest form in Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say, Ready? Online church is not truly church. Now, again, we may all disagree on this. We may all disagree. Some of you guys may be like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, this is exactly like church. I'm just saying, I would say embodied church is different from disembodied church. I think there's biblical precedent and picture for that, let alone the incarnation. Now, there are very valid reasons to be online, right? For there to be an online experience of church. I've got several of them here, right? Uh, some of you who serve, right? You serve in kids and you have an opportunity later on to go back and watch a sermon, experience the service because you were serving. And that's, that's a valid, very real reason for, for online church. Maybe you're sick. One of you is sick home with a kid and so you're able to send half the family here while the other half is able to stay home and experience a collective context. I would say that's absolutely a valid, very real concept. Inclement weather. Just a little while ago, we had a snow ice pretend thing. You know, like, well, you know, it's Georgia. We never know. But it, it, it was not much. But we had some snows. And so, hey, it was, it was a great opportunity to be like, hey, it's not safe, we're not sure, so let's just go online. That's a very valid, very real reason. Some of you are traveling and you have an opportunity to be able to join the community from a distance. For some folks, maybe this, is, maybe this is you and you're like, what kind of church is this? It's your first Sunday. And you're like, you know, I don't know if they like sacrifice sheep at their, you know, so I'm just not sure if I want to go. And so I'm just going to like watch first, you know, like so watching first time, I think that's a very fitting use of an online church piece for like a week. Oh, and, and again, and some people are, are homebound, right? We have folks that are actually homebound because of, because of disease or ongoing issues. So those are real things. I would say those are valid contexts for when an online space can be, right? A, I would say a, a non-incarnational, non-embodied non reality. But listen to, to a great um, podcast interview of uh, Tish Harrison Warren, who's, who's awesome. She's written a recent book that's amazing. Uh, she's, um, she's an author. She's an Anglican priest. And this is what she says. She says... Um, I literally typed this out from, from the notes from what she was saying. She says, whether or not one attends religious services, people need embodied community. We find it in book clubs or having friends over for dinner, but embodiment is particularly important part of Christian spirituality and theology. We believe God became flesh, lived in a human body, and remains mysteriously in a human body. Our worship is centered not on simply thinking about certain ideas, but on eating and, drink, eating and drinking bread and wine during communion. She goes on to talk about the fact that like in the New Testament, um, like the, the church was considered or kind of synonymous, if you will, with, with the household, right? With, with basically the family, being family. And, and just like we, just like we, well, you weren't not going to parent your children online. If you're, if you're married, you're not going to say that you're going to have, if you have an exclusively online relationship with your spouse, but you're not having a real marriage. Something's off. 
And, and I think some of it's this, and this is what I would say is the, the thing under the thing, is I think some of us have come to see churches, worship services, and frankly, church itself as, as content plus music. That, that's church, right? To certain content piece, like you're getting your content piece right now. You got a little content earlier. You got some music in between, and then you got your two packages, and you get to take off. And so if it's just content and music, well, you're right. You can get those digitally. You get content all the time digitally, right? You get music all the time digitally. And so if that's all that it is, of course, then that's all that we're dealing with here. But that is, that is not what we believe church is. We have to reject that fundamental notion of church, right? Church is an incarnational community of people that is held together by the word and the sacraments and the very presence of God. Now, thinking about this, about this embodied idea of, think about how God established uh, worship and engagement with him in the Old Testament. Last, you know, last year when we went through the Old Testament and we're talking about goats and sheep and all that stuff. And like, think about the fact that, that how much of it involves like physical body, smells and tastes and and smells and right blood and but but think about how much there's even touching right you go and you you put your hand on the on the top of the goat and and then they slay it right like there's a like there's a participation in it there's a there's a sense in God that says if you're going to try and be connected to me you got to have your body engaged too now I know Moses didn't have the option to be like or you can stream this, you know? Like, I know that didn't exist, and so we can be like, well, it's innovation, and I'm, I'm a, I love innovation. I think it's awesome. There's so many good things that can happen from it, but, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be very careful about what we think about innovation. And I think this is one of those dynamics when we talk about online church, which, again, I think has its place. It really, really does. We have to be very wise in realizing that the disembodied reality of church going is not the same as the purposes of God in our embodied state. Disciples are made by purposefully, purposeful, incarnational, embodied relationships that are interwoven with means of grace. And, and nothing, this, this didn't come clear, this came, became incredibly clear on Wednesday night. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, right? It is a physical service. We, we actually impose ashes. We, we come and we receive the body and the blood of Christ. It's a physical dynamic. But, uh, but on this particular service, um, our grandson Silas um, was in the service with his parents and sat next to Becky. And, you know, he's three, three and a half. And um, he experienced the entirety of the service. He got to watch several of you as you, you went up and got your ashes imposed. He had Clark reach over and put his hand on his forehead and impose ashes. And, and taking it all in, he got to watch as Becky stood up and went and took communion and came back and he watched her as she, as she ate the bread and as she drank the cup. It was an embodied reality of, a, of an ultimately spiritual reality. And he was just mesmerized by it. We were a little, Becky was like, I was a little surprised he wasn't like, can I have a sip? You know, it was a snack time, you know, but, but he could tell. He could tell this wasn't snack time around the island because he would have definitely asked for some juice, you know. It was something else was going on. And something else was going on for him because he was embodied. And then in it, something else was going on for us who were experiencing him embodied in his young heart, experiencing some of these means of grace. Do you, you see how that played itself out? And I don't know about you, but every time I have to, every time when we're doing Ash Wednesday and I'm imposing the ashes on a little tiny kid, like, whew, like it moves me. It's like even you are going to be dust 
And if you don't know Jesus, Lord, have mercy, right? So, I mean, it's, it's physical, it's real, it's tangible. And I, I want to say this. <laughs> <Someone's> <laughs> someone said to me the other day, they're like, you can pretty much say anything at this point, you know? <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me just say this, and this is true. And I have, by the way, I have some friends, I have close friends who are basically like, yeah, just not, not kind of just not doing church right now. They grew up in the church. They, you know, they have, a, they have a strong faith, but they're just not going to church. And, and one of the things I want to say in, in that kind of mentality is this, is that, is, is your kids... Like your kids learn, just like Silas was learning. He learned by the experience of the thing. He, he also learns back in, in kids' ministry that, that other people can tell him about Jesus, right? That there's, that there's a collective community of people who are all seeking to move in the same direction. And, and what, I fear, what I fear about some of us who've, who've grown up in the church and maybe a little disillusioned and are trying to kind of like do it as a side gig or, or is, is we're not realizing that the very things that formed us without our realizing it, right, just like if I asked you, hey, what did you eat the last 10,000 times? You'd be like, I don't know, stuff. It's like that with church, right? You've, you've come repeatedly. If you grew up, you were there every Sunday. And sometimes you were bored. And sometimes you snuck a toy in your pocket, right? But whatever. But you were there. And what happened over time is you got trained up. You got trained up in something that you didn't even know you were being trained up in. And now you have this undergirding. You have this thing that's, but you don't even know exactly what it comes from, but it's there. And what's happening, and this is where I think is a real tragedy, is some parents are thinking that that can happen that, that because they now have that. And so they're like, I can just be with God and with some friends of mine and we have community together, but, but I don't really engage. I'm not a part of a church community. I think one of the things that's very risky there is to realize your kids aren't experiencing the thing that you experienced. And you can think, oh, well, there's that one day at camp that it was a big aha. It's like, yeah, but that one moment at aha that, of course, came from the Holy Spirit was informed by a whole bunch of other stuff underneath it. We know this in the training of our children, right? We talked about, we know this in the training, but I just want to say, like, it is pivotal that the rhythms for our kids, that they experience the reality that this matters, that God is going to meet with you, that he might surprise you with something big, or he might, you might just experience him in a very simple way. But it matters. It really, really matters. Last thing on the embodied piece. Um, Ash Wednesday service, I'm in the back imposing ashes, and um, Libby Chalk comes up, and um, there's tears in her eyes. And, um, you know, that's not the moment where you're like, hey, what's going on? So, you know, I, I just saw, I smiled, you know. Um, but as it, would, as it would be fitting, um, I ended up running into Libby a couple days later. And it's like, so, hey, what were the tears about? And, and she walked me through... Um, a rough day, a rough day at home with one of her boys, and, and basically she's like, we, we both did it badly, and I came frazzled, worn out, kind of upset with myself and struggling with him, and, and then the service began, and the gathering of the people, and the reality of what's true of the fact that she didn't do great, and brother, she gave me permission for the story, she's like, she didn't do great that day, and she's suddenly confronted with the reality of like, I, yeah, I didn't, and he didn't do great either. And we're, we're both equal in needing. We need Jesus. And, and he's sitting right next to her, em, embodied in that moment, 
to, to know and hear and see. And God was able to meet her heart. And so by the time she's coming to be reminded of the fact that like, it's all futile if it's not for Jesus, like her heart is moved. Tears are streaming down her eyes and she meets Jesus. And it moves her back towards her son who she had a really rough day with. And it moves her heart towards God who's the only one who's going to redeem his heart and hers. It's embodied. It's not an idea. It's embodiment. All right. Thirdly, the other ones are shorter, I promise. I got excited on the embodiment one. Why must we come together to worship? Uh, Because we forget what story we're in. We forget what story we're in. Uh, We did some work a couple years ago, a few years ago, um, on just defining what do we mean by worship together, right? We talk about our RCC, that we're a community of people, and one of the ways in which we articulate the, how we're transformed and changed by the gospel is that we worship together, we engage in community, and we live on mission. So we worship together. It's like, what does that mean exactly? It's like every church says worship, right? You're supposed to. So it's like, what does that, but what does it mean for us in particular? And so we just worked out definitionally, what do we mean? And um, this is what we have. It's, it's what's written down. This is what, you know, uh, new candidates are seeing is, is worship is the active response of God's people to God's glory. It's grounded in the scriptures and it's empowered by the spirit. But listen, we believe that it, it's reorienting us to ultimate reality in a way that deepens our communion with God, that, that strengthens our unity with one another, and that increases our love for the world. We must be, what, what, what we believe fundamentally, what I believe is, is explicit in the scriptures, that we must constantly be reoriented towards God, towards ultimate reality. Because just like every single other person described in the scriptures, just like the people of Israel, we are forgetful people. We are disoriented. We forget the story that we're in. I read a, an article by... Uh, a writer named Peter Newman, and this is what he said. He said, For a forgetful bunch like us, the regular rhythms of church remind us who God is and who we are, that we are his people in his world. This, of course, has always been a reason Christians need church, but perhaps it's even more pressing right now. In a sped-up digital world where attention spans are shrinking and allegiances are fragmenting, every day the internet pulls us in a hundred different directions into different and competing tribes and stories. This was especially true in the past, you know, I said last year, two years now, when pandemic isolation resulted in our, spe- in our spending even more of our time on the internet. In a world like this, which is our world, we all know, in a world like this, increasingly artificial, distracting, and in a way unreal, if we don't carve out at least one day a week to be powerfully reminded of our place in the Christian story, our already fragile, fickle, and forgetful heart will invariably stray from this story. In a world so often distorted by online life, we need the clarifying force of God's word read preached, prayed, sung, and tasted. To stay in and live live out God's story, we need to remember it. And to remember it, we need to go to church. James K. Smith follows us up. He says, this is how 
we become human. He's being ultimately human by, by being immersed in the drama of God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, which is precisely the point of Christian worship. That's what we're doing here, to invite us into that story over and over again. And what do we do? It's characterizing us, giving us a character as we rehearse the gospel drama over and over again. We must come together because we are forgetful people. I'm a forgetful man. Next, we must come together to worship. Why? Because God is worthy of our praise. God is worthy of our praise. The next line in our worship together uh, definition says, above all, worship brings delight to the heart of God. That when we are gathered together, worshiping, singing his praise, being reminded of who he is, it blesses and delights his heart. Hebrews 15, um, sorry, 13, 15 says this. It says, through him then, that's through Jesus, then let us continually offer up sacrifice, sorry, offer up a sacrifice of praise to the God, to the God that is, but something is wrong. You know what? Apparently I cut off something. All right. Uh, through him, let us continue to offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Offer a sacrifice of praise. I don't know if many of us think of, of coming to worship as a sacrifice. We may feel it in the sense of like, I chose to get up and get dressed and I could have stayed in my pajamas. That's a real thing. But... I, I, I was actually listening to, um, to Louis Giglio getting interviewed, and, and he said something that just struck me, and he actually referenced this verse. He said, we bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, meaning that when I go to church, it's a sacrifice. Not I'm going to get something, but I'm actually coming to bring something. And sure, I will be blessed, no doubt about it, but that's not why I'm coming. I'm coming to bless God. He says, I believe that the church that will survive is the church that people come to because God is worthy. And they want to come and bring their offering collectively to God. It's my favorite things about Louis is his big God view. And I think how much of the conversation we have about church is about like, how is it going to work for me? Is it, is it convenient? Is the temperature gonna be okay? Is, is, it, is it going to work for me? Is this gonna be interesting enough? Like, is, is there gonna be just enough right stories? Is the worship gonna be good? Or is it gonna be songs I like? And, and again, we all experience, and we obviously want to have a, you know, an unencumbered or undistracted service as much as we possibly can, but, but our natural disposition is to come for us. And oftentimes what I hear from folks who are like, I'm not, I just haven't been coming, like I just I haven't been getting a lot out of it or it's not doing a lot for me. And, and I just want to remind us that, that the fundamental reality why it matters that we come to church is God's worthy of our praise. 
It's one of the things I love about Priya. Priya, Priya, I mean, you just have a conversation with her for five minutes about worship, and she's like, it's the best thing happening. Like, we get, we actually, I mean, she's like, every time she's like, we actually get to do this. Can you, almost like, can you believe it? Like, we get to come together, and we get to lift up the name of Jesus. We get to praise and exalt the Father. Like, we get to do that together. It's, it's, isn't that amazing? Because he's worthy of it. And, and I, and I, it is hard to hold on to that when our natural context tells us, does it work for me? Do I like it? Do, do, I, do I feel better coming out than when I went, went in? I just keep thinking about, you know, when David, in 2 Samuel, when the plague has come upon, and he has this opportunity to get this... Um, I think I preached on this last couple of years ago. Anyway, he has the opportunity to get this threshing floor that he's going to turn into, ends up becoming the temple ultimately, but he's going to offer a sacrifice to bring the end to the plague. And, and um, let me actually just read it. It says, um, but the king, David, said to, um, to Arana, he says, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the God, the Lord my God, that cost me nothing. I think that's one of those like triple underline verses in the Bible. Because, because loved ones, we come bringing a sacrifice of praise. We come, right, as, as Romans 12 says, we, we're as a living sacrifice to him. That's part of what we're doing here. And so it should cost it costs your attention. It costs our intentionality to be thinking about what words are we singing? What does that, what does that mean exactly? What, it, it costs us. You could veg, you could stay in your car. Like there is a price tag to it, but the, but the, price, <laughs> the price is God himself, right? It's the, it's the glory of the one who is worthy of all glory and praise. And, and one of the things that happens when we get to all be together doing that is that it melts out all the other noise. It just pushes all the other stuff down. Our differences, our, our challenges, it, it right-sizes our lives according to him. And we need it. We've got to continually be reoriented to him. And lastly, why must we come together to worship? Why do we gather at church? Because we need to experience the gift of the table. We must experience this meal. 1 Corinthians 11 says in its instructions, Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth about community, he said, listen, and when you do so, like, examine yourself as you take it. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but like, what was it, 12 years ago now, when I was interviewing for the role here at, at RCC, um, I, I, I said to the board, hey, listen, this is not, I'm not uh, this, what I believe is that communion should happen every week. And it's, it's so central for me that like, if that's not where we want to go, that's totally fine, but this is probably not the right place for me. Um, and, and the reason is not because it's legalistic or, or because, you know, like if we don't, God won't love us or anything like that, but, but because this meal has a way of doing something amazing. One, it levels the playing ground, playing field. It levels the playing field completely. Everyone who walks up to this table is not Jesus. And so we all need him. So I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are and how much you disagree. We, we all need him. But when we come to the table, it's this, it's a, what I love is that it's a weekly, if you will, confrontation and comfort simultaneously. That's what the table does. It, it, con it comforts us because, you know what, like, you're this loved. And, and it confronts us because it says it, this is what it costs for you to know this love. 
It's both truth serum and a healing balm. It's an invitation for you to come and to not come as a poser, pretending who you are, but to come as you really are to experience the real God where you really are. And if that's an ugly spot, then it's an ugly spot. But guess what? You're still welcome. So it's both confrontive and it's also a serum. It's to say, yeah, this is the kind of week you have. This is the kind of stuff you've been doing. This is how alienated and, and rebellious you've been against God. And you know what? He still receives you. Can you believe it? He still receives you. So, so, it's, a, so it's a truth serum and, and a healing antidote. It, it's both of those things. And, and one of the things that I know is that I, I've taken communion at home when we're doing digital stuff, but it's not the same. It's not the same when we're having to come down the aisles and, and wait and watch other people experience the grace of God in these elements. It forces us. It's, it's, the, one, it's the one thing, because you can like, you, maybe you checked out like 36 six minutes ago. Maybe you're, you've been gone, but you know what? You're going to have to come down here, unless you're walking out the back. You're going to have to come down here and face Jesus. Now, you may choose to not engage it, but, but that's what this is for, right? It's to invite you to be like, okay, this is the real me. And this is the real you. So loved ones, I, I, don't, I don't know what some of the rationale at times are for you personally. We're all different. We all have different motivations for, for why it's hard to come sometimes or to, to, be, a regular, to be regular, particularly regularly come, to, 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 to leave home, the convenience and the comfort of home, to, to come and be present here. And those are all, these are all significant reasons, and they all apply. But, but I would say that, that this right here, should be your personally most challenging thing. That left to ourselves, nothing in our lives is going to do this. It just, it just won't. Your spouse challenging you on stuff, it's not like this. This is, this is, this is one of the reasons why Jesus is like, you got to do this when you're together. Because it has power because of whose it is and what it's about. So, to what degree... To what degree has being at a regular context of worship together become optional to you? To what degree has it become optional to you if you're online? Where it's like if, if the stars align or if there's enough things that aren't going badly or if I'm not too tired. and I, I'm... I, I, so careful, I feel very careful to not, this is not legalism, okay? I, I just, I mean, if you've been around, you know, I'm not a legalist. Again, God's not going to love you more. You're not going to be more impressive to me. Like, this is for your good. It's for your, it's for my good. Loved ones, I need this. And so do you. And so my invitation is to just do some honest reflecting. If, if you've been out of rhythm, pretty out of rhythm, like, let's be honest with yourself. For those of you who are like, you know what, I'm just not sure I'm coming to church, whatever. Like, first of all, if you don't, you don't have to come here. Go somewhere where the gospel is preached, God is worshiped, and, and Lord willing, the elements are offered. Like, like, the church is bigger than Roswell Community Church. I know that. But have you been given permission by God to not be part of his regular community of faith. Have you asked him? Because I think it's a really important question. One of the reasons why there's not a whole lot in the scriptures about like, hey, by the way, and you're going to gather together is because it would be like saying, hey, here's how you play golf. And in there, you're like, well, it doesn't say anything about being a human being. You're like, well, yeah, only human beings golf. So 
That's kind of, we, we, we assumed that when you, that you're going to be reading something, you know? Like, that's actually true of the New Testament, the Old Testament. It's like, the concept of, like, being able to not be connected and together is foreign. It doesn't even exist in the mind of it. If anything, it was like, hey, even though you're being persecuted, like, let's be together anyway. Hebrews, persecuted church. Hey, be together anyway. Find a way. And so, so I just want to say, you're invited. You're, you're invited. And you're needed. And you're wanted. But by us, by each other, yes. But by the Lord, that you may know him and love him more. That you may be experiencing his grace in ways that you won't on your own. And that's the gift of this table. And even as you come today, you get to come as you really are. And by the way, if you're like, oh, I don't, now I feel bad. It's been two years and I haven't been. And people are going to be like, oh, you have finally shown up. No, that's not, that's not how we roll. We're not doing that. We're, I'm, every single face I'm seeing, like, I'm glad you're here to worship with me. I'm glad we're here to worship with each other. I love hearing your voices. I love delighting in the reality that we're hearing from God. Like, it's a good thing. We have to pray for missionaries all over the place. Like, do you see? Like, we're being stirred up to love and good deeds. Like, it's just, it's the real thing. Not always convenient, sometimes it costs, but it's worth it. So, as you come up in a minute here and receive the body and blood of Christ, like just, just receive it for what it really is, an invitation to know and love him more, to be received where you really are, and yet to become all that he has for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We, uh, we know that you love us. And it's certainly not because we're acceptable and impressive. Uh, you love us because you love us, because you have chosen by your grace to pursue us. And so we want to, as we come and receive these elements, as we come reawakened to the grace that you have for us in Christ Jesus, Lord, we want, to, we want our hearts to swell with the delight that it is to be with you, and we want to become rhythmed people with you, in your presence, with your people. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us courage and strength. Holy Spirit, we, we know we don't change. You change us. And so would you change our hearts? Would you, would you give us a vision of Jesus, a, a, a picture of the, what, how glorious it is that we get to worship the living God this very morning together? Thank you. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body. We receive it as the gift it is. Have your way in us, we pray in Christ.